Today, our gospel reading from Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 7. May God open our hearts and our ears. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the tomb. Look, there was a great earthquake, for for an angel from the Lord came down from heaven. Coming to the stone, he rolled it away and sat on it. Now his face was like lightning and his clothes as white as snow. The guards were so terrified of him that they shook with fear and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Don't be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here because he's been raised from the dead just as he said. Come, see the place where they laid him. Now hurry, go and tell his disciples. He's been raised from the dead. He's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. I've given the message to you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Our thanks be to God. You may be seated. I told the choir on Wednesday night at the rehearsal um, that it's not uncommon people in worship hear a message and experience the presence of God more so through the music than what's said in a sermon, which is humbling, and I've come to terms with it. But uh, bless you. Thank you to our choir, our musicians, Alan Barbary, our director. Uh, What a blessing it is uh, to worship God this way. So I have a question for you all. Do you recognize this picture? Probably you do. Uh, One of the most iconic works of art in history, right? It's Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper. Maybe it looks like what you're about to experience in an hour or so when uh, you gather around the table together for lunch. This is certainly one, one of the most iconic and recognizable works of art uh, in our world. In fact, it's been parodied a lot, too, from The Simpsons to South Park, from M.A.S.H., to the Muppets. But the original, Da Vinci's The Last Supper, uh, we believe was painted in and completed in 1498. And um, you, you can find it in the refectory, which is another term for a dining hall. Uh, you can find it in the refectory at the convent that has a in a church in Milan, Italy, the Santa Maria del Grazie. And da Vinci was commissioned to paint this there on a wall in the late 1400s. Now, his style of painting was different than what would have typically been done on a plaster wall uh, which has caused some problem and degradation with the painting. Uh, he typically the, they would have um, an artist would have done a, a fresco painting, so painted uh, the color into the plaster as it dries, as a way for it to seal and stay and harden. Uh, but 
But Da Vinci, in an effort to uh, try something that would pop a little bit more, make the colors more fresh, he painted with a different, a little bit of a different style of paint and painted after it was dry. And so unfortunately what happened is even before his death, the painting had begun to flake off the walls and degrade. But now art historians have noted uh, some of the things that are significant about this painting for instance, that when he painted it, and by the way, this is not a painting that's like, uh, that's in a nice little frame hanging on a wall somewhere. This is a mural that is 15 feet tall and 29 feet wide. Takes up the whole wall in this refectory, in this convent. But a few of the things they've noted about uh, his approach to the painting, or to the mural, first of all, was that he hammered a nail into the wall right by Jesus's right temple. And from that nail, he used string to run lines out to the edges to guide his painting of the panels that you see along the walls and the panels on the ceiling in an effort to draw everybody's eye in to the center, to the focus of the painting, which was Jesus. And there's also a few things in this painting that are incorrect. For instance, you notice when you look out the windows in the painting, it's a bright blue sky. But now the Last Supper, we understand, took place in the evening. So it would have been dark outside. Also, the food that's on the table is not indicative of the typical Passover meal. It's actually more indicative of what they would have been eating in Italy in the late 15th century. But because of his style of painting and the fact that so quick, so soon, it began to flake and peel and lose its sharpness and its color, along with the fact that it's 500 years old, What happened over time with this painting is it began to dull, darken because of the smog, the dust, the mold that accumulated on the wall over the years to the point that it got so dark and faded that it was hard to tell where the walls stopped and the people started. Also, another thing that was lost was that Matthew had blonde hair. By the, by the time this thing had gotten so dark and faded, it looked like he had black hair. But Leonardo da Vinci had originally painted him with blonde hair. And so somewhere along in the 1700s, another thing that happened, I don't know if you can see it in the picture, but um, the people who were living in the convent at the time, I guess, decided that they need to get from the room they were in to the room that was on the other side of this wall And so I don't know if you can see at the bottom in the center where Jesus' feet should be, they cut a doorway into the wall. Into this historic masterpiece, this work of art. Somebody, and they don't know who, but the assumption is, right, create a doorway so that you can go through. Somebody cut a doorway into Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper. Brilliant. And so, there have also been, down through history, particularly since, say, the mid to late 1700s, several efforts to try to fix this painting. Now, I mean, 
technology back then wasn't what it is today, and certainly not our knowledge and understanding of paints and art and physics. (laughs) So uh, everything was tried to painting over it. People came in and just painted over spots of it where it was fading, to filling in places with wax, with glue. So really what had happened to this great masterpiece over some 500 years is it no longer looked at all like it was originally painted to look. From a combination of both just nature and the things that happened with the passing of time to the work of other people other than the artist who created it trying to improve it or fix it. So in 1979, a renowned restoration artist, Panin Barcelone, was contracted to restore this painting as close to the original as could be done. And it took 20 years of painstaking work to restore the Last Supper again as close as possible to how it had originally been painted. In fact, next month, May of 2019, is the 20-year anniversary of the completion of the restoration of the Last Supper. And the restoration process was meticulous. Uh, Barcelona used all the latest technology available, lasers, microscopes, cameras, computer modeling, to do as best as possible to get underneath all of those layers to discover and uncover what was there originally. In fact, there were days, most days, where they said by the end of the day they had restored an area of the painting about the size of a postage stamp. Now, for those of you in the room who don't know what that is, when you used to mail letters to people, you would have to put (laughs) these little square stamps up in the corner, mail it. And so over 20 years, Barcelona and the team painstakingly to microscopic detail, millimeter by millimeter, peeled away, scraped away all of those layers, those years and years and hundreds of years of layers of dust and dirt and mold and wax, and glue, and paint to eventually reveal what we see today as close as possible to what was the original masterpiece, Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper. I just finished reading a book called Walking in the Dust of the Rabbi Jesus, written by Lois Tverberg, and the purpose, the intention, the meaning behind the book was to help us better understand Jesus by understanding the Hebrew words that he used. And in the book, Tverberg talks about this painting and actually has a quote from Barcelona, the restoration artist. When the painting had been fully restored and completed, 
Barcelona called it a slow, severe conquest, which flake after flake, day after day, millimeter after millimeter, fragment after fragment, gave back a reading of the expression and intensity that we thought was lost forever. And in the book, Verberg uses this as an example to talk about our own experiences with the words of Jesus. How we're doing the same thing today with the discovery of new meanings, with the development of new study tools and techniques. We're uncovering new depths and dimensions to who Jesus was and what he said and what he taught. We're understanding our faith in ways that we never have before. And in some places, we're scraping off stuff that's been laid over the top of Jesus and his teachings down through history. Now, art historians tell us that this painting was created to tell a story, to tell a biblical story, the story of the Last Supper, specifically the moment when Judas has betrayed Jesus and all the disciples are reacting to that moment. And the truth is, any work of art tells a story in a way that sometimes words cannot. And the the story, the biblical story that we're celebrating today is the one of the resurrection. The empty tomb. When God raised Jesus from the dead. In a way... That's a restoration story too. Not unlike, not unlike what Barcelona did with Da Vinci's The Last Supper. Because the religious people and the political leaders of that day had covered over Jesus' message, his very existence, his message of God's beauty, truth, and love covered it over with so much accusation and distortion, even to the point of putting it to death. Death on a cross. Burying it in a tomb. Rolling a stone in front of it. Sealing it for eternity. That forever, that's what that masterpiece would be. But on this day, So many years ago, that first Easter, when the women arrived at the tomb to treat the body and prepare it for burial, the stone was rolled away. And there was an angel who told them, I know you're here looking for Jesus, but he's not here. He's risen. Now go tell the disciples that he's gone on ahead of you to Galilee and he'll meet you there. Man, Easter never passed us by that we, and we miss the fact that the first people to preach the gospel were the women in Jesus' life. <laughs> the first people who heard the good news from the angel of God and went to proclaim it were Mary and the other women who had come to prepare Jesus' body for burial. But he wasn't there. 
He'd come back to life. God had restored Jesus to life. All that they thought that had been put to death, that had been put away, was back. And not just back. Not just back like he was a couple of days ago before he had been crucified, but even more. He was back in the fullness of who God had created him to be. Fully human and fully divine, glowing before his disciples. He wasn't back to just Thursday Jesus. He was back to the Jesus of eternity. God had restored Jesus to life. And in that same way, that restoration that happened on that first Easter, God is restoring all of us back to life through Jesus. God is still in the restoration business in our world and in our lives today. God is about restoring you. I wonder if somebody might be in here today feeling some of those layers of life that have settled in on you. Maybe life's journey hasn't been good to you. You've dealt with your share of pain. And hurt. And disappointment. Disillusionment. Maybe you feel like through all of those years. Or maybe just through the past year or so far this year. The dirt. And the dust. And the mold. And the smog of life. Settling in on you. Or maybe you have experienced the work of other people in your life. Trying to fix you. And make you into what they think you ought to be and look like. Maybe you've dealt with that and felt the weight of that. And those layers being laid over the top of you. So that you're at the point anymore where you can't even see that original, beautiful work of God, that masterpiece of God, that is you. Brothers and sisters, hear the good news. God and Jesus Christ is still in the restoration business. And by the power of God's Holy Spirit, He's scraping that away in you. All of that hurt. All of that brokenness, all of that disillusionment that's distorted who you are and who you see yourself as and how you see the world, God's wiping it away. Now, sometimes that's inch by inch, millimeter by millimeter. Maybe sometimes you get to the end of the day or the week and you feel like, well, maybe there's a postage stamp in there somewhere worth of restoration that's happened in my life. 
today. Easter is the day of restoration, the day of resurrection, when we celebrate, acknowledge, appreciate, receive God's restorative work in our lives. Oh, would you, even now today, make space for God to do that restorative work in you and scrape away those layers that have settled in and covered up who God created you to be. This is what Easter is about. God is restoring us, you and me and us together as the church and our world so that we would be who God created us to be. And restoration is happening all around us if we only choose to see it. This past Friday night, Good Friday, several of the people from this church gathered in the fellowship hall and in about an hour and a half, I guess, packaged 15,000 meals to go all over the world and feed people who are hungry. That is an example of the restorative work of God in people's lives in very tangible ways like I don't have food to eat. I listened to a podcast recently, it's called The Daily, but one of the episodes was about a young Palestinian man who'd grown up in the West Bank and all his life, all he'd known was his community who loved each other and cared for each other and enjoyed life, but surrounded by hostile Israelis. And and the only existence he knew between Palestinians and Israelis was one of tension and fighting and encroachment and war. But as he grew up, as he grew up, he got an opportunity to come to the States to study. And so he came to Stanford to study physics and mathematics. And when he was here, he decided that he wanted to learn a little bit more about the Jewish people because here he was surrounded with them, but it was a totally different dynamic. And, and so he actually enrolled in a Jewish student center and went and he presented himself as an Iraqi Jew. He, 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 wanted, he, he wanted to be welcomed and accepted. He was concerned if he went as a Palestinian, that might not go well. So, uh, so he went and presented himself that way and began to learn and, and have conversation with Jewish people. And he attended a seminar where they taught about the history of the Jewish people. And particularly when they came to the part about the Holocaust, he says in this podcast, in this interview, he said, my heart was broken for my Israeli brothers and sisters. I'd never heard it firsthand the depth of the pain of what they'd experienced. And he said it gave him a new perspective on how his people and Israeli people could live together. In fact, after he finished school, he decided to go back to the West Bank and lives there today. And, but in the interview, he said it, it's only gotten worse. When he went back, he noticed there's what little sense of community he felt like he had 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 been replaced now with hostility and war and that that was really all that was happening that he could see was this constant fighting and pushing and and yes this is this is a very complex situation that's happening on the west bank and between israelis and palestinians but the hope for restoration for me was in this one young man who took the time to get to know people who were different than him and said, I, I still have hope that there's something better for us than fighting and war. 
God is in the restoration business. And you, and me, and people like us all over the world. And God's in the restoration business for our church and for our community right here at Shambly. We have opportunities, all of us, right outside our door, to be a part of the work of the kingdom of God, to raise the level for everybody. That we might all know the beauty, truth, and love of God. And it it can start just as simply as you, me, how we interact with the world and the people around us. Which is why next Sunday, Emily and I are going to spend three weeks with a series of sermons that we're calling Resurrecting. And what we believe God's calling us to resurrect in this day and age is civility, humility, and hope. I hope that you'll make plans to come back next Sunday as we consider what it means to resurrect civility in the name of God in our world today. Do you hear it? The voice of that angel that's saying to Mary and to the other women, and by extension through them to the disciples, I know you're looking for Jesus. He's gone on ahead of you to Galilee. You'll find him there. Jesus has gone on ahead and begun that restoration work in you and in your life. There is somewhere that you are going with God. And Jesus is going there with you. In fact, he's gone on ahead of you. And if you will look for him, you will see him. You will see him in your life and in that restorative process that God is doing in you. Will you look for him there? In just a minute, we're going to sing one more hymn. Crown him with many crowns. I want to invite you, when we get to that point and we sing, I want to invite you to let that be a moment for you of reflection. Yes, on the words of the song and what it means to crown Jesus with crowns in your life and what it also means for you to be open and aware of the restorative work that God is doing in you starting now, today. And listen, if you don't have a community of faith, a group of people that you can be a part of that restorative work with together, I want you to know this one is open to you. This is a great church, and I'm not just saying it because I'm the pastor. But if I said otherwise, I guess that would be an issue. But, But I mean it. This room is chock full of people who are on that restoration journey together. Millimeter by millimeter, postage stamp by postage stamp, becoming more and more who God created us to be. And if you don't have a church that you call home, we would love for you to be a part of that with us here at Shambly. And one last thing, when you go out the doors today, you'll see a basket by the doors. Each basket has coloring sheets in it. This is for you. Not just for your children. This is for you. This is a thing. If you've not done this as an adult, it's a real thing. Actually, I mean, it's been proven. This has health benefits for you. But if you'll spend time just coloring, they say it helps to relieve stress, anxiety, 
gives you a, a way of expressing yourself. So I want to ask you, as you go out the door, take one of these. I see the way some of you are looking at me. Just, just go with me on this. Just take one. And sometime this week, spend a little time coloring it in. And as you do, let that be a moment for you. For you to reflect on the restorative work that God is doing in your life. Just like Panin Barcelona did with Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper. And there's even white space there if you want to add something more to it. Maybe you want to write Easter 2019 or Restoration or Restore or whatever. We'll leave that up to you. But as you go out the doors, take one of these with you. Color it in and let that be for you. A way to experience and appreciate even that postage stamp worth of work of restoration in your life. I'm going to ask you if we could pray together and then we'll stand and sing our closing hymn. Oh God of us all. We give thanks for Easter. For new life. For resurrection. For restoration. God, we are thankful that you are in the business and at work restoring us to the original, what you created us to be. God, for all of those layers that have covered that over in us, in our lives, it is our prayer that we would be open As you scrape it away, remove it from us, revealing who you made us to be in your image. God, we're thankful for the ways that you call us to be a part of the restoration of our world, the work of your kingdom. And it is our prayer that we would go and do that and be that together. Starting now, even more today, this Easter Sunday. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing Christ?